So I had a conversation um, not too long ago, and in that conversation, um, I was told this. A person said something like this to me. The church is a mockery. The so-called faithful vary between religious fundamentalist zealots on the one hand and anemic anything-goes beatniks on the other, both equally self-centered and useless to the world. The church is so busy fighting with itself, it can't seem to move beyond its own walls. I mean, why in the hell would I want to be part of anything like that? Hmm. Why? may come as some surprise to some of us, since we tend probably, if we're here, to run in circles of people who participate in some degree in church. The reality is most folks these days don't really care all that much to be involved. It's not that people aren't spiritual or that they're even not religious in their own way, but it's more that they really don't care about the institutional structures of the church. They don't really care about denominations and dogma and doctrine and hierarchy and mission statements and all of that stuff. It's not that they're somehow offended by it, although some of them are, and it's not that they're necessarily like opposed to it, although some of them are. It's just that they don't care. <laughs> I mean, they don't really like see the point. Why church? Why do you need church? Why are you here today? What purpose does your being here serve? I mean, maybe you're seeking community, a place to belong. Maybe we're here because it's just what we do on Sunday morning, a habit. Maybe we're hurting, looking for healing. Maybe it's the thing to do to build our brand and reach a certain demographic. Maybe we want to grow in our spiritual understanding. Maybe it's FOMO, right? My friends are here, fear of missing out. Maybe I ought to show up. Maybe we want to learn to serve. Maybe we want to be seen by the right people. I mean, maybe we experience love here like no other place. Maybe, maybe we're here for the show, the entertainment, right? Or maybe what? Why are we here? Lent is a good time for us to ask ourselves that question. Why? Lent is a season of introspection and evaluation. It's a time to allow our defenses to be stripped down. It's a time for us to get real about what motivates us a time maybe to examine our actual lived values and not just the values that we speak and claim to be our own. I have this saying that hangs above my desk in my office. <clears throat> I forget who said it exactly, um, but the quote is this, what you believe is what you do. Everything else is just religious talk. <laughs> Convicts me every time. So allow me, if you will, to share some of my why with you this morning. Why am I here? And for me, it's rooted in these stories like what we read today 
from Genesis 15. Kind of funny, I guess, at least funny to myself, that it actually wasn't until I was already a pastor in the church serving two small parishes in Montana that it dawned on me that the Bible is not only stories about, you know, what happened then, all those millennia ago, but that these are also stories of what is happening now. I mean, think about that. I was an ordained person in the church before I realized the God told about in those stories is the same God who is present with us now. I mean, I knew that in my head, right? But it wasn't until about 95, 96 that it became real for me. And it was in studying this text, actually, in Genesis 15, and in some part that that began to be true. Genesis 15, as, as it opens up, Abram is struggling. He's been called by God to leave everything behind and take his wife Sarai and come to this new land, and God has promised that God's going to bring from him this great blessing upon all nations, that, that out of him will rise this nation of people, that he'll have these descendants and so forth. And he's, he's done all that, and he's traveled to this whole new place. It's a, it's a place that he's never been before. Everything is strange and unfamiliar. He's had some ups and downs. He's had some adventures with his nephew Lot, and he's built a little bit of wealth, and Mostly he's just been a nomad, though. He's wandering among a foreign people, unclear about what God wants for him and from him. And time has been passing since he heard that promise the first time, and he's begun to doubt it, right? How will he be the progenitor of a great nation if he and Sarai remain childless? In the midst of his questions, he has a vision. Maybe it's an angel, right? Maybe God appears as an angel. Maybe it's a disembodied voice regardless. But the first thing that God says to Abram when God makes this appearance, and it happens over and over and over again in the Scriptures, the first thing God says, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Maybe that's in the Bible so much because we need to hear it so often. Do not be afraid. I've heard that voice. <laughs> right? Sometimes it'll quiet whisper, sometimes a loud shout, sometimes I've listened to it and been comforted, and other times I've just sort of ignored it and went on with my anxiety, but the voice remains. Do not be afraid. And Abram, so completely human, <laughs> so much like us, he points out the obvious. Sure, fine, okay, don't be afraid, got it. I have no kids, right? I'm old. I'm past the age of having kids. How is any of this going to work? You make all these promises, but nothing ever changes. Nothing seems to progress. I've known that too, right? Maybe you have as well. Arguing with God, 
You know, I, I'm, I'm following you here, God, but I'm not finding much evidence that we're making good progress or growth, right? I, I committed myself to something, but now what? I'm not sure it's working out. The steady plod of life and this question hanging in the air, you seem to have brought me along this way, God, but where'd you go? And so the voice invites Abram to go outside. Look at the night sky. Count the stars if you can. Perspective. This is so much bigger than you. In reading that text this week, I went back to a vivid memory in my life of a night sky in Montana. Cold February night, me laying on my dog sled, yes, hand to God, I had a dog sled, bundled up in Arctic gear, Alaskan Malamute by the name of Fang, real thing, laying next to me, the breath steaming in and out of us, right, as we were catching our breath. We'd run about a mile or so out of this little tiny town of 300 in north central Montana out onto the prairies in the utter pitch dark. The air was crisp and frigid, the sky clear, vivid. And I remember laying there, and I had a feeling of being able to reach up and touch the cosmos. Just me and the dog and the whole universe in front of us. Perspective. This is so much bigger than you. And the text tells us that Abram believed God and that God reckoned it to him as righteousness. Abram trusts God despite the lack of evidence. And essentially, God says, it's all I need. It's all I need. Just trust me. Hang in there and trust me. Now, I have a little confession to make. That um, person that I was speaking to, that I described in the opening of this sermon, that voice was mine. Admittedly, it was in a moment when I was not my best self, but the critiques and the questions were real. problem was my view was too small, too narrow, too focused on what I thought progress, growth, faithfulness should look like. And when our world becomes too small, our dreams become too limited. 
And so God invites us to look up, to gain some perspective. So, the church is a mockery? Okay. So is every other human institution. <laughs> we seem to be a race of beings who excels at not getting it right. But look again. Pay attention. Because we are on our way to something. The universe is expanding. Compassion is growing. Consciousness is rising. We are evolving into something better. We're never going to get it right. But sometimes we come pretty close. On Ash Wednesday this year, I was taking ashes around the hospital to all the different units and departments as a Catholic healthcare system that's part of our practice to invite staff who would like to to receive ashes at the you know, beginning of their shift on Ash Wednesday. And so I was in the emergency department and I'd gathered some of the nurses who were wanting to receive the ashes. And one of the physicians approached the group and he asked, what do the ashes mean? And I started to explain that we do this at the beginning of Lent, you know, to mark the beginning of the season. And, so, and he's like, no, no, he interrupted me. He's no, 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 no. He says, what do the ashes mean? And I had to pause and I, and I had to think for a second. And then I said, they're a sign of our mortality and our humility before God, a reminder of our humanity and our limits. He nodded, thanked me, and then walked away. I finished giving ashes to the nurses that were circled there, and, and as I was walking past the doctor's station on my way out of the unit, he stopped me and called me over. He thanked me again for answering his question about the ashes, and then he said this. He says, I am a Shiite Muslim, and we have something similar. When we prostrate ourselves for prayer, we have a small piece of clay that we lay our forehead upon to remind us of the same thing. And he's doing this while he's telling me this. And he looks me in the eye and he says, we aren't so very different, are we? perspective. That's why I'm here. It's our trust that sets us free. The institution, the pomp and circumstance, the posturing, the arguments over who's right, who's wrong, that doesn't interest me at all. But I keep coming back to the church because I'm reminded again and again that this human life is so much bigger than what I will ever realize. And so today I'm grateful for a Montana sky, for a Shiite emergency physician, and for a community where I get to explore that.
Where's it all going? <laughs> I have no idea. But I trust this. God has things well in hand. Do not be afraid. Be still. Trust. We are safe in the arms of a loving God.